The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. episode of Conversations with Jeff. I'm really excited that uh, I have a return guest. We've got uh, Tom Littleton coming back, and you know, if you remember, we had him on several episodes ago, um, but I'm really glad to you know, bring him back and just sit down and have another conversation. Welcome so much, Tom, and glad we could do this. Uh, good day, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, good to be with you, and I, I'm enjoying the, the broadcast. Thanks for what you're doing. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, you know, because, you know, like last time, you know, we had you on, we were talking about, you know, Revoice. We were talking about the Gospel Coalition. We were talking about all these things. And I feel like, unfortunately, nothing's really changed in the sense of all those guys that were still in error are still in error, essentially. Um, And so I know that you guys are essentially you, Stephen Black, Janet Mefford, and a few other people announced that you guys were going to host your own conference called God's Voice. And that was going to be in uh, response to Revoice. Um, What what was going on in the decision making to decide, Okay, it's time for us to do a conference? I I think probably by the time we were doing, uh, I had done maybe the third story of what turned out to be uh, maybe a dozen stories on the developing uh, issues, you know, with Revoice. Uh, By the time that third story I had done and and I did an interview with Janet and a couple of other people who were concerned, you know, I said, you know, we really ought to do a conference on this because by that time we knew that uh, Revoice was – you know, was not getting um, clearly condemned by our own leadership. Everybody was saying, "Oh, let's just wait and see. Let's let the conference happen and and take it from there." But uh, what it reflected was severe infiltration in two of our main seminaries within the PCA Covenant Seminary and then the uh, Southern Baptist uh, um, uh, SBTS. Uh, so we thought this this is a bigger problem, and they've scheduled. You know, and they're talking the 2019 conference, and they've scheduled that now. So the idea was we need to put something in here that is sort of a, uh, a, a marker along the path for people who are following this and get some of these things articulated specific from Scripture, from the, a pastoral viewpoint like uh, Stephen Black and others would bring to the issue uh, for offering hope for people who are wanting out of this lifestyle or for their families. And, um, you know, and to kind of go on the record and have something alternative available since the mainstream evangelical leaders are not doing that. Yeah. Well, and that, and that, that's, that's been the crazy thing to me watching all of this is how few of the big name guys that we've always relied on to, you know, confront error and correct error. It's just, it's crickets. It's, it's silence coming out of, out of that, out of all those guys that we've been looking up to. And that, that's, what's been, 
uh, kind of shocking to me about this because you would think that this would be something that it would be clear cut. This is what the Bible says, so this is what we're going to say. Yeah, I, I was amazed. Just I wondered if some of the guys had even taken time to look at the uh, you know the the topics that we all saw in the um, you know the breakout sessions, you know the workshops. And if they'd even read the website uh, when they wrote their articles, because they would say these crazy things like, well, you know, they're saying they're committed to uh, a a Christian sexual ethic. We have to take them at their word. And, of course, once the the conference came, you know, the opening um, session, the keynote speaker made jokes about that, said, we're not very good at that. And what are they talking about, the sexual ethic of King David? Yeah. I mean, they were joking at the very line that, you know, that they stood behind supposedly to uh, say that they're being orthodox. But what we're looking at, I think, is fear on the part of some because they don't want to speak ill of people who are coming out of their own institutions or they're wanting to give cover to what may be a, a much bigger picture, you know, of collaboration. I mean, nobody wants to speak about Tim Keller. Uh, unfortunately. And when you've got Tim Keller's protege, for example, uh, Scott Sauls helping mentor um, the founder of Revoice and help uh, way back in this time, you know, last year, um, uh, working in, uh, or actually in November uh, of 2017, um, helping to uh, organize Revoice in the beginning. So you've got a Tim Keller mentor, Scott Sauls, at the very foundational, you know, um, uh, effort with this whole movement. So, you know, people are afraid where the trails lead, perhaps, but uh, the reality is we should be more concerned about what this movement means to the body of Christ. And I think that 2018 marks uh, uh, a really a line in the sand and is a historical marker that we need to be able to realize that you know, the SBC and PCA and other conservative denominations stand uh, at a place where we perhaps are about to go over to the dark side on one of the most important cultural issues of our day. Yeah, well, that I, I, I 100% agree with you there. And, and it's it for whatever reason, 2018, I feel like saw so much compromise on, on so many different areas. And that was just shocking to me. Um, but what I wanted to do is let's back up a little bit. Um, you know, cause last time we did, we did cover revoice. We, you know, covered the issue, but for those who haven't watched, didn't, haven't watched that podcast and are just tuning in now, if you could kind of explain what revoice is so they know what we're talking about and what, what's the issue from a biblical standpoint. Yeah, Revoice is, was a conference, uh, but it represents a movement. There's another conference coming up. It's <laughs> scheduled for July uh, 2018 in St. Louis, Missouri. I first learned about it when the guys from Living Out, uh, who were hosting Tim Keller in their conference in London uh, with the, a group of same-sex attracted but um, uh, celibate Christians, uh, actually promoted a revoice and said, uh, you know, if you can't make it to London for our meeting, here's something for our U.S. audience. So they saw their work, which is deeply uh, embraced by Southern Baptist and, and conservative Presbyterian and Gospel Coalition uh, leaders, they saw uh, revoice as a companion effort uh, uh, and promoted it from the U.K., 
So I went to the site and began to see workshops and uh, the list of speakers. And one of the most obvious things to me was what they were saying very boldly as a mission statement, which was later slightly altered. But the initial mission statement said promoting LGBT plus flourishing in historic Christian tradition. That meant that they wanted to bring in the LGBT community to let them flourish in historic, uh, uh, you know, uh, conservative Christian churches. So the idea then was borne out by the um, the early uh, topics, you know, in the workshops and the speakers and the, the messages that they were sending across. But uh, essentially, the idea of inclusion, acceptance not necessarily affirmation of homosexual activity, but everything short of that, even down to identifying as sexual minorities in the church, which makes them then a minority group, a, a an oppressed uh, victim group that uh, gets to demand justice and, and, uh, and uh, recompense from the church. Uh, and also to use more radical terms like queer Christian, LGBT Christian, and plus, whatever that means, uh, they were leaving the door open for others who wanted to self-identify along even more extreme lines as Christians. So you can see there was a major you know, reason for concern. My point, biblical perspective, is working as an evangelist, I have seen uh, many people come out of homosexuality. I have a lot of friends who have come out of homosexuality and no longer identify in any way by that lifestyle or the, the, the desires or the lust or the temptations of that lifestyle, like this group of people were trying to do and are trying to do on a very radical level. According to Scripture, if any one of us are in Christ, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know, And we have a new identity. That's our identity in Christ. It is not a gay Christian identity. Uh, but that's part of what's at fault here, and we can talk about that a little later where some of this stuff comes from. But it isn't coming from Scripture, and it certainly isn't helping us to find our way to be biblically faithful within conservative churches, given the cultural tsunami that we presently face. Right, for sure. And, and now, do you, you know, I think I know the answer, but do you think that— like, is this, because I feel like some, some people are saying, well, this is just like a small little pocket. They're on the fringe. They're, you know, off in the distance. It's not anything that we in the mainline conservative, you know, church need to worry about because they're way over there and it's not happening in our church. So at, at, is it more mainline than, than what a lot of people are giving it credit for? Uh, yeah, I would say probably the biggest way they could confirm to themselves the level of uh, infiltration and saturation would be that the founder of Revoice, Nate Collins, has spent 15 years at the Southern Baptist uh, Premier Seminary, the flagship seminary, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's where Al Mohler, one of the most trusted conservative voices um, uh, in the Southern Baptist and the Gospel Coalition and Reformed Camp, uh, is president. Uh, Collins and his dad, we later found out, were, uh, you know, both employed at Southern as uh, and at Boyce uh, as uh, respectively as teachers. And interestingly, uh, those two guys were involved. Uh, Collins and his dad 
with the collapse of uh, Exodus, they were part of the last um, uh, conference that Exodus International with Alan Chambers had before it was uh, destroyed and dismantled from within. And that's sort of the the um, most notorious failure of what's seen as, uh, you know, ex-gay uh, therapies or, or ministries where essentially that type of ministry was disowned. That has implications for every Christian because as long as the world stands, there are going to be people who come to faith from this lifestyle who want out of it, and they need help. And uh, much like when people are dealing with drug addiction or other life-controlling issues. And so we're seeing that disowned and vilified. But even more with the Gospel Coalition, we had four people who write for the Gospel Coalition who were speakers at Revoice. That's pretty heavy saturation. Mm -hmm. And then Covenant Seminary had seven speakers. That's uh, the PCA, Presbyterian Church of America's uh, flagship seminary in, in St. Louis. And of course, this was hosted in a PCA church. So we're looking at denominations that have stood firm for the last 40 years, while other mainline denominations like Methodist, Episcopal, uh, Lutheran, and others have drunk the Kool-Aid on this issue and are in, in, in rapid decline because of it. And unfortunately, you know, we're seeing sort of the last of the institutional denominational um, representatives of Christian faith in our culture start to give way. It's a big deal. Oh, yeah. For it does sure. affect us all. Yeah, it affects yeah. us all. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, and, you know, I feel like we keep bringing up the Gospel Coalition, the Gospel Coalition. And a lot of that, I think, is just because they do have such a wide influence and they've got so many big name pastors and that sort of thing that are involved in, in the leadership and kind of guiding, you know, their focus and that sort of thing. So it, how, how, how much responsibility is, you know, flies with organizations like the Gospel Coalition and that sort of thing in the sense of either looking the other way or flat out encouraging it and promoting these kinds of not only events, but this ideology. Yeah, I think the Gospel Coalition plays a, a major role. And for most of the leaders uh, like Tim Keller or D.A. Carson and others at the top level, they know what they're doing. Uh, and I would base that on I wouldn't say everybody who writes for the Gospel Coalition or who is in a uh, has their church affiliated with the Gospel Coalition is complicit with this, you know, intentionally. But in some ways, they are still a part of the movement, uh, even if it is unwittingly. But D.A. Carson, who started the Gospel Coalition with Tim Keller uh, in 2007, I think. Um, he commissioned in 2010 a white paper from um, uh, a guy who works with the American Psychological Association and teaches at Regent uh, University and Mark Yarhouse to write a white paper, which they've used as a gold standard for uh, sexuality and uh, these issues uh, within the Gospel Coalition writing. And then they hired um, a person who's heavily influenced by Yarhouse, uh, Sam Alberry, to be the editor at the Gospel Coalition. He's a guy who claims to be a same-sex attracted but celibate priest in the Church of England. And uh, Ed Shaw, who also works with him at their ministry, Living Out. All these guys are writing for the Gospel Coalition, closely tied to it. And so everything then comes through the, on this issue, comes through the lens of their views on uh, uh, homosexuality and whether or not a person can change or if the gospel changes these desires. And in fact, um, 
when when you're filtering everything through a lens that is more based on being compliant with the American Psychological Association than than being faithful to the scripture, I mean, you've got a problem from beginning to end. And that's exactly what's happened with Mark Yarhouse, his work with the APA, his work is also interfaith. So the Gospel Coalition has embraced an interfaith approach, not even a Christian approach, and certainly not a biblical approach, but a a psychological uh, psychologically based and endorsed by one of the main guys, Stryker, who um, who was or Spitzer rather Spitzer, who was the, the instrumental in having homosexuality removed from the list of mental illnesses in 1973 with the APA. So. We're we're seeing something that has really made the APA and and its henchmen very happy moved into the mainstream of the Christian Church, and uh, so we're completely off uh, uh, off the rails as far as this conversation because it has no anchor whatsoever in a biblical conversation or in biblical principle or in gospel truth. It has entirely moved us outside that realm. Right. And why, why do you think now is, is this, is this going to be an intentional issue in the sense of are like the leaders of the gospel coalition, the ERLC, the, you know, all the different organizations and denominations that are getting involved with this and promoting this kind of ideology with homosexuality within the church. Is this, is this legitimately an intentional thing where, this is what they want, or is this just they're naive and they're just not educated on this issue, so they're just going along with it? Well, I always try to stop short of judging people's motives because I don't know their hearts, but I know someone who does. Of course, the Holy Spirit <laughs> reveals the hearts, but, right. and and we're not called to, to judge or condemn people, but we are, are called to exercise judgment and discerning. And what I would say is that in most of the cases, there are other uh, things that are inspiring them that converge to take them in this direction. I think one of the issues is the um, the more intellectualized the gospel becomes uh, to people who are uh, trained academically or themselves in academia, there's a seduction to want to have a seat at the table, to be accepted among the thinkers of the day. And so a person who is Christian who is saying that homosexuality is a sin seems like there's somebody who's, you know, who's living in the dark ages and who is hateful or, um, you know, prejudiced. So the reality for them would be, well, I'm not going to have a seat at the table among, you know, the who's who and the you know, for example, with Tim Keller living in New York City, you can't run with the crowd that he runs with in New York City and hold the line. You know, so I can see that being part of the compromise. Plus, um, the church's ministries and uh, denominational move into faith-based partnerships where they're able to get private grants, government grants, and to work Alongside, uh, I just did an article about uh, churches, uh, you know, and ministries signing on to the global goals uh, uh, in philanthropy. You can't run in those circles. You can't work with the United, with the World Health Organization or the United Nations or FEMA, and um, you know, World Relief, uh, um, uh, uh, USA, those kind of organizations. You can't do that and appear to be a homophobe. I mean, they're going to track down your tweets, and just like the Heisman Trophy guy, 
you know, they're going to find out everything you said, and then you're gonna, your feet are going to be held to the fire. So they have reasons, I, I would say, both financial and philosophical to, uh, to migrate on this issue. The other reason, unfortunately, would be uh, as they try to mainstream this effort uh, then and bring the church, you know, court sort of into compliance, they see themselves uh, as having achieved some type of third way or civil discourse that advances their views politically. And we're seeing more and more in the Gospel Coalition, for example, that they are highly political, even though their narrative up until this last year has been that the church was being too political and that conservative Christians were being too political. Well, the lead up to the midterm and before that, the big never Trump mantra of guys like Keller and and uh, Russell Moore and others, uh, you know, and the shaming of evangelicals for their voting patterns and all that, have proven that the Gospel Coalition is extremely uh, political and it is extremely progressive in its politics. It's left of center and moving left. Well, well, what's 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 the concern from a biblical perspective on? Christians that are progressive in their political ideas like like why you know because I feel like historically like growing up for me I always heard it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat you know we can all be Christians and get along and that sort of thing so what what's what's the dangerous part about being progressive and promoting those kinds of ideals I think you know I'm not extremely political I do vote and uh, and I do engage some in pointing out some of the concerns and how they impact people politically. But, I mean, I've had the opportunity to either join or head a couple of politically uh, focused organizations from a Christian perspective, and I always decline that. I, I do speak occasionally at a political event, but I would really rather not. Uh, but sometimes people, you know, uh, want you to bring some of this information to bear, you know, but the um, becoming politically uh, oriented 100 percent is, is a is a is a bad idea for the church. And, and it always is on either side of the fence uh, for Christians. Our hope really isn't there. And some of the you'll hear some of that same, you know, um, you know, point made by the Gospel Coalition guys and others. But the problem is. Uh, that when we get like uh, recently, I did an article about Mark Dever and his um, uh, his editor having a discussion about the editor um, Jonathan Lehman's book uh, about nations raging, church unchanging. Uh, the idea that you know there's so much incivility and that we're being divisive actually, in, according to their rhetoric. Christians are being divisive by being single-issue voters, and what they mean by that, they go on to say, is voting pro-life. Mm -hmm. And for most Christians who are not extremely political and are not you know, living in that rarefied air and motivated by it, but they want to engage in the process, the, the, the issue particularly over abortion and knowing that tens of millions of babies are being aborted, you know, in our country because of legislation and legislators who we elect who have who have allowed that. When we know that in communist countries like Russia and China, there have been hundreds of millions of abortions. We're looking at the biggest genocide that has ever happened in the history of the of the world has been done through the promotion and mainstreaming of abortion worldwide. The numbers are staggering. 
but America as a nation, you know, with some Christian roots and heavy influences, uh, you know, shouldn't just throw those things away because uh, leaders in the, the Gospel Coalition tell us that we're living in a post-Christian era. And uh, if we are indeed it happen on their watch, uh, but the political ramifications on social issues, moral issues, do have a bearing on the church and even on our nation uh, uh, coming under the judgment of God. So how could anyone dare uh, move to bring about the church uh, uh, collectively away from voting uh, pro-life and voting to support every effort to overturn Roe v. Wade and to stop those kind of things from proliferating in our um, you and our culture. So, you know, I think those are non-negotiables, but when you listen to Dever and, and, and Liebman, for example, they're trying to give people a narrative that will give them an out on those uh, voting convictions. And so those kind of things uh, and, and, and redefining a family and redefining of, um, uh, of the whole, uh, uh, you know, idea of marriage and uh, uh, parents, have long-term and disastrous, potentially disastrous um, effects in our culture. And so the church is the standard bearer in this. This is not something that we need our own leaders trying to whittle away and weaken the church's stand. Right. Now, now, in what way do you feel like this push to go, you know, progressive left and pushing those ideals, in what way do you feel like it's compromising the gospel? Because I feel like what ends up happening is you the the typical excuse is well this is political it's not it's not the gospel this is just politics so you know it's like a separate issue but is this compromising the gospel well i would say that you know we want the gospel to be first and foremost um on the hearts and minds of christians in private, in in our houses of worship, and in the public square. Uh, I would say, looking at it from the vantage point of these progressives, they say that being overly political hurts the gospel because we are um, coming across negatively, uh, lacking civility, that we're coming across as um, out of touch, out of date, out of step, wrong side of history, those kind of narratives. Uh, coming across as being known for what we're against, not what we're for. And so we're told these are all gospel issues. Well, I would say that the real gospel issue for us in our culture today, if indeed it is a post-Christian culture, um, if indeed you know, we uh, are demanded to have some uh, position and give some voice to these issues as a gospel mandate. I would say that that would be, uh, from the gospel's perspective, it would be a matter of being salt and light, speaking to the community. I mean, Paul was addressing idolatry. He was addressing immorality. Romans 1, you know, if, if knowing that Paul's going to do a church plan in Rome I mean, as he he served poorly as his own advance man uh, with Romans one, given uh, today's uh, ideals of how you grow a church. But instead, he took on the truth. He took he went straight to the core of the issues. He even took on Caesar. 
as an idol himself uh, when he speaks against the idolatry there. And um, so, you know, Paul was fearless about his, uh, you know, preaching truth uh, and calling out sin in, uh, in the, the culture of the, the you know, the, the world power and the seat of power for his day. So he was not afraid of being of speaking to those truth and speaking truth to power, and he was, uh, in, in his view, uh, un, uh, uh, and I think inspired by the Holy Spirit, he, he was doing all that in the gospel context because he prefaced Romans uh, one specifics and discourse about sin uh, by saying, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes." So. In fact, all these things are gospel issues, and how the church uh, stands against them and and for the gospel and for the kingdom of God are gospel issues, because we have to be living that stuff out. And and I have to say this, Jeff, Mm -hmm. and you know this, uh, when you do evangelism, when you do personal witness, uh, you know, most of the people in the world are a lot smarter than, than we tend to give them credit for sometimes, because they see hypocrisy in a moment. And, you know, I've seen this over and over through the years because that's my main calling is evangelism. And uh, I mean, I can't even venture a guess how many private personal conversations one-on-one or in a group of small college students or whatever that I've had through the years. I mean, it's, it's a lot. And when they see your hypocrisy, even if they don't agree with it either way, or if, even if they're indifferent to the issues they are disturbed by the hypocrisy. So Christians can't be um, adopting these progressive political views and how they will play out uh, uh, regarding family and so forth. And and the idea that nationalism is a sin, uh, I mean, I've, I've been around a lot of Christians who have come out of, uh, uh, you know, emerged from socialism or communism, and they were very proud of their countries. And... Um, so I don't think that it's an anti-gospel issue to have some sense of national pride or patriotism. I think that's just part of the human experience, and you can express your faith and gospel issues even in the middle of that. But now we're being uh, in a, um, chastised for that and acting like if you're if you're you know proud of being an American, you're some kind of nationalist, you know, or some kind of a redneck, and you know, and you're sinning against God. I don't think that's true at all. Right. You know, and, and and it's one of those things where I get we're, we're aliens in this land and we're, you know, our true kingdom is in heaven and that sort of thing. But but at the same time, it's we're still citizens of this country. We're still, you know, we still have a voice in, you know, framing which direction our country is going to go. And that's that's where I think that a lot of these guys, you know, go, go totally off the reservation and just going crazy in all reality. Uh, but But dealing with um, dealing with like, you know, politics and, you know, the way we vote and our witness to the world and that sort of thing. How should we as Christians be dealing with this issue? Cause we're talking a lot about what's happening in the church, but how should we be dealing with this with non-Christians? So if we're dealing with somebody who is gay or we're dealing with somebody who is a leftist or we're dealing with somebody like that, how should we as Christians be dealing with that? Is the focus change their mind as our focus the gospel what what how do we go out into the world with the truth on all these issues i I think the best approach is that we keep the gospel central because we know that 
like like if we're talking about politics with people who aren't in the faith or are in some specific uh, lifestyle that um, that we know is condemned by Scripture, uh, the gospel's still the, at the forefront, and that is that the real hope is in Jesus. And often, I think it's healthy just to explain to people, uh, you know, uh, why. Christians hold certain convictions that they may find offensive or see as uh, hateful. And, you know, what you will find generally in the world is a total ignorance of the Word of God. So taking things from a a biblical perspective, like, for instance, um, on the issue of abortion, if I often explain to people, say, well, why are why are why are Christians so against women having a choice over their own body? That's the kind of question you'll get on a um, on a um, college campus by a young feminist. Okay, so um, what I say is, you know, from a biblical perspective, none of us have the the uh, choice over our own bodies because once we become a Christian, we're bought with a price, you know, and and even before that. Uh, we're uh, we're created by God, so He has some claim to us because we're a product of His design and His direct imparting of that life. So, thinking that through for a minute, you know, like Jeremiah talked about, he was he was that God knew him even before He formed him in His mother's womb. Well, this young activist has probably never heard those that verse or concept, and then to take them through. The idea that that each person being made, you know, for uh, for a higher purpose with God, uh, well, what is that purpose? You know, and and then uh, on the issue, you know, of how idolatry and self idolatry has driven, uh, you know, the killing of infants and um, and and devaluing of, of uh, life uh, historically, and and all that's deeply rooted in the same spirit that uh, drove the uh, child sacrifice in Molech. And most of these people would find that really abhorrent if they understood. Uh, And then in that, you've been able to explain the gospel, share the word, give some historic perspective to it, and even share your own, the basis of your own convictions. And if you do this in a loving way and gently, you know, uh, uh, gently uh, offering an explanation of the hope that's in you and offering uh, perspective. I mean, most people who who really want to have a conversation rather than just sort of yell, uh, you know, and, and discredit uh, Christians, you'll be able to to do that and engage all of the all the topics in one really in the format of of, of sharing the gospel. And that's one of the beauty. I love those kind of conversations because. They're compelling when you see that a person's heart is really having the Word of God infused and and their perspective being challenged uh, on that basis. Right, a hundred percent. And so, so let let's bring it back a little bit to you know, Revoice, God's Voice. Um, kind of want to give you the chance to explain the biblical principles of, I guess the the issue of homosexuality, like. I guess their argument is we are, you know, essentially we're gay, but we don't act it out. And so is that, is that a good enough, is that a good enough uh, explanation? Is that a good enough excuse to not, you know, completely reject that ideology overall? Well, I think just one layer 
beyond where Revoice took us in 2018 is the disturbing uh, reality of uh, what's called uh, queer theology. And they stop short of it. They do talk about queer theory and queer culture, but they don't talk about uh, queer theology, but they're hinting around about it. So obviously they know, and what that does is it begins to see God himself and every biblical story and every biblical fact put forth through the lens of homosexuality. And one of the problems with uh, differentiating between uh, homosexuality for a Christian as an orientation versus a temptation is, is fundamental to how we understand the gospel and the power of God. Because if it is a temptation because of something that's happened in your past or choices you've made and, and temptations you've yielded to in the past, if it is a temptation, then you address that through uh, uh, through the Word of God and the washing of the water of the Word, through uh, renewing your mind, through prayer, and submitting yourself to the Word of God and the ongoing work of the cross to mortify sin and the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. So that's not the end game to be able to identify then by that sin, to let sin label you or or be your Christian identity. Looking at it through this uh, idea of orientation, some pr- proposed discovery of orientation, you take the, and even Al Mohler confirmed this in 2005, although he's abandoned it now, you take the entire discussion out of the framework of Scripture and you put it into uh, frameworks that are constructed by the social sciences, by activists, by the American Psychological Association, by un- non-Christian counselors, and you bring everything into the realm of the subjective, and then it's all about what's going to make you happy in the end. The outcome then becomes uh, not the gospel or gospel transformation, but the outcome then is uh, is whatever makes you feel good. We're right back to situation ethics. You know, I grew up in the 60s. The big mantra was, if it feels good, do it. Well, that got a lot of people in trouble, and it helped uh, uh, spread a lot of STDs. As a matter of fact, it, we, we went from two STDs to over a dozen in the years wow, following yeah. that, that mantra, plus AIDS and HIV. So the idea, looking at it on the issue of sexuality, our bodies are made by God, for God. And I often have had some of the best gospel opportunities with people who are either living in promiscuity, homosexuality, prostitution, um, you know, um, uh, uh, exotic dancers, the whole thing, you know, the whole gamut of people on the fringe to be able to say, look, your body is what it is because God designed it and there is something beautiful there. There is some a beautiful gift for you there, but what we have done through sin is, is you know the enemy has perverted that and and stolen from us, and then we give our part in the choices we make into furthering that uh, distortion, and then we reap the consequences. But we were made for something higher. We were made for the greatest uh, interchange and exchange and interaction of all, which is communion with the Holy God. And that the worship experience is the most beautiful 
human opportunity uh, that we can ever have to really know God and be known of him. And, and then second to that would be the opportunity for a man and a woman in marriage to have the kind of intimacy that God has uniquely created us to, to share. And just as the enemy has tried to pervert religion and pervert um, you know, um, uh, us uh, from that worship experience, he's also worked to pervert human sexuality and, and to pervert that experience and make it something about self-gratification and pleasure Whereas it, that's that's just barely even scraping the surface of the potential that's there that God created in it, and so I often ask people in this context, so what is it that you believe uh, will will have the best outcome for you in in your life and how you live it, living by the what you feel at the moment to be uh, your best path. Uh, driven by the winds of culture and your own desires, or living by the design of the one who created you for something much, much higher. And in an honest consideration of that, obviously, the, the latter <laughs> would be the choice. And we should realize that the, we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God is intimately acquainted with <clears throat> the hairs of our head and our, our every thought. So certainly he has a purpose and something far more fulfilling for us. So in that context, you're able to put forth the gospel to people and, and really keep it at the forefront. And, and over the issue of sexuality and intimacy, everybody has desire, everybody has capacity, and everybody has longings you know, for relationships that are going to be meaningful and fulfilling to them. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's like what that old um, 80s uh, rock song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. That's what we do. We try to fulfill this in all, you know, the wrong places with the wrong people by the wrong means. Right. And I, th- and I feel like, you know, the, the crazy thing to me is I feel like the Bible is pretty straightforward on, on this issue. It's, there's, to me, there's no wiggle room. There's no anything like that. But obviously they would disagree. So what what is what are the biblical quote unquote precedences that they're setting to defend their positions? You know, when we're talking about the guys in Revoice and that are promoting this kind of theology and ideology, and how can we as Christians overcome that if we're in a discussion with somebody that is promoting this kind of um, ideology? Well, I think it really gets down to. You know what is the gospel? You know the gospel is, uh, in the most simple terms, it is the good news that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing our sins to us. And the love of God is based on what? It's based on uh, on on who He is, not on who we are. And so that's liberating for all of us. But in fact, um, it's facilitated by the cross, which is. Uh, you know, it means that a very high price was paid because of sin. So sin can never be taken lightly, justified, or in this case, romanticized as something other than what it is. I mean, this whole SSA narrative doesn't come from Scripture. And, uh, and, and when I tell you that the queer theory is infiltrating the same group as well, it is a horrific perversion of, theory, of, of, of the Scripture and of theology 
uh, even to the point of seeing, um, you know, some supposed same-sex attraction in the garden before the uh, fall. That is even written by uh, uh, in, in, uh, by Gregory Coles in his book, um, The Single Gay Christian, and he was the worship leader there. So to imply that there's same-sex attraction in the garden before the fall would be implying there's some same-sex attraction between God and Adam. That is as unthinkable as anything that I've heard brought into this discussion yet. And yet um, Denny Berg even talked about that uh, and, and didn't condemn it when he reviewed uh, Gregory Cole's book. I, I don't know where they think they're going to go with that. It's just, it's, it's horrible. But the reality is that God, uh, God's word stands, uh, you know, as the, the, um, you know, uh, as marked in stone, you know, a, a stake in the ground, the historic markers, uh, you know, it's all based on the word of God. So we're having a new conversation that even Nate Collins admit uh, when he was on uh, Sheologians, which I think is one of James White's daughters' uh, yeah. blog, uh, he admitted that this whole conversation is really outside the bounds of Scripture. It's an extra-biblical conversation. So I would say for the average Christian, it's fair to, to say and call that out that it's an irrelevant conversation if it's beyond the bounds of Scripture. It's a conversation that doesn't need to be uh, happening and that the Church is not compelled to answer at all because it has to be confined within the bounds of God's Word, or we're in a realm where nothing matters except what the subjective you know, views of the individual uh, bring to bear on it. And, uh, and that's not God's order and design, that's chaos. So what Revoice is trying to do, you know, they pointed out, well, you know, a, 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 it's like revoicing a piano, you know, and putting, you know, a, um, uh, you know, it's like a, a, a high-end tune-up of it, and that's what they say they want to do. They want to retune and tune up the conversation within the church on LGBT. They want us to include LGBT in ministry, create safe spaces for them, and really what they're saying is beyond those who claim to be celibate. They're wanting the entire LGBT community to be welcomed in the church. They've said some, said as much. So where we are at, at this point with what's knocking at our door through Revoice is, is the inclusion of, the, of what the Bible condemns as perversion and, uh, and in the strongest words, as abomination, being, you know, knocking at the door and warning acceptance and admittance when there was no biblical basis for that and, and profound biblical basis for rejecting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I, I, get, I get their thinking in the sense of like they're trying to appeal to the world. You know, obviously it's wrong, but they're trying to appeal to the world. And they're also trying to, I think, justify their struggles to a certain degree. Um, but so how should the church be appealing to the world in a biblical perspective? Because, you know, obviously we don't want to redefine sin in order to attract them to come into the church. So what, what's the right way to do that? And I think one of the reasons why I ask is I feel like we're taking such a harsh stand and a strong stand against this because this is an issue that's infiltrating the church. Um, but then how do we go out into the world you know, when when we are taking these strong stands and how how do we interact with the lost that are struggling with these issues, but they're, they don't have Christ, they're, they don't have a relationship with Christ? Well, two mistakes that we're making is that the only thing we seem to be offering them 
uh, for one, is celibacy or um, or suppressing their homosexual desires in a heterosexual marriage. That's the message of Revoice. You know, that that's pretty much the whole thing. That you, abstinence, and that's how you're going to maintain a Christian sexual ethic, according to them. And uh, and then on the other side of that would be the side A guys who are just saying, "Well, just embrace it and engage it and be monogamous and and give in to your homosexual desires." The problem with Christianizing either of those it doesn't work. So that's not the message we can take to the church, I mean, to the world from the church on this issue. It's, it's you know, it's a fool's errand, and it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's a predetermined failure. And, and so what we do take to the world is the idea of the wisdom of God in, you know, in giving life and human. I, I don't like making the procreation argument if you know what I mean, yeah. uh, because uh, solely looking at, at human intimacy solely on the on the um, the through the lens of uh, as they like to say of procreation, I think it sort of lessens the beauty of it because God certainly had something more for Adam and Eve when He said it's not good for man to be alone when He made their bodies and their emotions and their their um, you know uh, to um, you know, to complement each other. And so there is something beautiful that God has offered and has designed. And and the big message that we should carry to the world is one of redemption, that sin has broken all these things, and that the power of the gospel is, is there to redeem it, to restore it. And what we're looking at with human relationships, not just physical, but emotional relationships— we live in a time of extreme dysfunction in our culture, and when a family does sit, get together, you know everybody's on their iPhone. They don't communicate. They don't even have the most basic um, interaction. They just happen to be occasionally under the same roof, and so a lot is breaking down in family, right down to communication. Which, if you talk with any good biblical counselor over sexual intimacy or marriage issues, uh, you know, they'll tell you this is a form of communication, and if you're having problems there, the problem is over communication. Well, the world's primary problem with communication is between us and God. We're not agreeing with him. We're rejecting his word. And so the real message to the world is God's voice is calling out just as much today as it was to Adam in the garden. Where are you? when they had sinned and were ashamed and were naked and exposed and hiding themselves. And so the real message of the church is respond to the call of God because you come out of hiding, repent and, and communicate, you know, let God communicate his word and his wisdom and his, his truth to you. And, and that's really what coming to the gospel is all about. And, you know, for us, I think the you know the message really never changes, and it's pretty much universal across all of these issues that we're to be reconciled to God. And I used to be really into philosophy, and I, I thought I was quite a thinker when I was you know 15 and in high school. You know, and it's yeah. laughable looking back. You know, but um, I remember the moment I was saved when I was 17, which was 41 years ago on the 11th of December. I just celebrated my spiritual birthday. Happy but, birthday. 
thank you. Thank you. Uh, but uh, I read the book of, of Proverbs first thing, first night when I was saved. And I said, God, I want real wisdom. I hate the, the endless, you know, um, theorizing and, and, and philosophy that I've indulged now for years. I want to know real wisdom and real truth. And of course, I was directed to, you know, through uh, Proverbs that that wisdom is really the understanding the Lord and the fear of God and uh, that the beginning of wisdom is to fear him and embrace who he is and approach him, you know, on the grounds, you know, that he is prescribed, which is through repentance and faith. So the idea that we have to alter our message, really. I mean, I've been ministering the same message, you know, essentially, you know, the love of God, which is manifest for us most clearly in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the message we take. Look, we're all sinners. Uh, the stinkier we are, the the less, uh, the less time we should spend on trying to, uh, you know, provide our own case for our self-righteousness, we should be readily able to and willing to admit it and find repentance. And God's merciful. He's patient, uh, long-suffering. I grew up with the King James. That's a beautiful word. Mm -hmm. He's just long-suffering. And uh, if we'll just come God's way, you know, then uh, then we can find life. For sure, a hundred percent. And so, kind of as as we're wrapping up a little bit, um, you know, you've got the conference coming up, God's Voice. Um, who are some of the speakers, and what can people in, expect if they um, are able to attend the conference? Uh, well, uh, one of the main speakers you've already talked uh, to, Stephen Black. He has First Stone Ministries, which uh, is very faithfully every day uh, available and offering counsel and. and biblical love and ministry to people who are wanting out of the lifestyle, and they have hundreds and hundreds of testimonies through the years of people like Stephen who have successfully, you know, put that life and all of its its problems behind them and are living in God's will and design uh, and, and blessed as a result. Uh, um, Robert Oscar Lopez is speaking, and uh, he's another guy who came out of the lifestyle. He was raised by lesbians. He uh, was an activist and a brilliant guy who uh, teaches at a Baptist seminary. So he's going to be speaking and sharing his testimony. Um, a friend of his from uh, England, um, uh, Andrea Williams, who is a lawyer who's worked uh, within the Church of England, uh, working through some of the, the battles over um, uh, redefining marriage and adoption issues and so forth related to LGBT uh, in England is going to be sharing and I think brings some unique uh, perspective from my view of what we're dealing with, with what I call the British invasion of the whole SSA argument uh, from Sam Albury and Living Out and those guys who now want to audit our churches for LGBT inclusion. We talked about some of that but right. the um also um uh peter labarbara who is uh, americans for truth about homosexuality he's a, a hardcore uh faith activist uh for the truth and he he knows so much about the history of the gay rights movement about the players who have brought us this far and through this movement and its social upheaval and uh, activism and funding and so forth. And then um, Janet Mefford, who has been the bravest person that I know on uh, 
on uh, Christian radio to take these issues on and the mainstream and get them out there. And, uh, you know, she um, was, uh, for a lot of people, they would remember Janet from her um, investigations into Mark Driscoll, which yep. affected the Gospel Coalition when it was exposed that he was not only a plagiarist, but in his responses to all this turned out to be a, a fairly uh, unsavory guy. Yeah. And how he treated staffers and stuff. And, you know, she was fearless and didn't back down. Well, she's taken on the revoice issue. And um, I told her I look forward to a day when she and I can interview about some other topic. But uh, for now, this is where the church is, and this is the kind of thing we need to be uh, talking about. And then, of course, Al Baker, who I know, who is PCA, uh, and uh, he's an elder and, and been in the, the Presbyterian Church of America for a long time, and he's speaking to the issues uniquely from a person who's in the denomination that shows the biggest compromise in the production of Revoice because it was in a PCA church, and it's coming, you know, seven of its uh, uh, speakers are coming in 2018 out of Covenant Seminary, as we've mentioned. So. We're going to try to do a really, uh, you know, well-rounded um, presentation for uh, people who are coming, so they can really digest where Revoice came from, where the movement is headed, how it's impacting us, what's essentially wrong with it, what's wrong with the idea of abandoning reparative therapy or ex-gay ministries, whatever you choose to call it and uh, why people need the truth on this issue and why they need the hope of the gospel and exactly what that hope is, what it entails. For sure, 100%. And so, um, I, you know, I, I really encourage, you know, anybody, if you're able to attend, definitely sign up, you know, go, you'll learn a lot and that sort of thing. Where can people go if they're interested in the conference or, you know, attending and that sort of thing? Yeah, the website is godsvoice.us godsvoice.us and they can follow on twitter at god's voice conference and on facebook as well and uh you know we're we're just trying to put out a uh, you know a, a a a heartfelt offering you know as a counter to what we're seeing i'm hearing that some others now are starting to talk about a conference but when we started planning this one as a response somewhat to revoice and a counter to its uh, wrong message uh, we started in August uh, planning, so there was nothing, you know, in the works at that time. So thankfully, you know, maybe some others are going to, um, uh, you know, do try to do something. But I think ours is unique, and um, I think we are very pastoral in the approach. So godsvoice.us, and we welcome people and uh, really want to see um, uh, the gospel reinforced and the hope that it um, offers celebrated through conference yeah i totally agree and so and then if people want to follow you uh because i know you're constantly writing and posting more research and and in all reality you're probably the the most well-versed in all of these issues that out of anybody that i know so if people want to follow you either on social media or your website how can they do that well i'm on facebook uh it's thomas littleton it's not very complex that's just my personal uh facebook uh, page Mm -hmm. and then um uh, and my stuff is all extremely non-commercial. Uh, I have a, a website called uh, 30 Pieces of Silver. Spell it out, 30piecesofsilver.org. And that's where I post and archive uh, stuff. Uh, so, And we're getting about 10,000 hits a month right now. So um, I'm appreciative of all those people who are reading. And, and when you're taking kind of a 
you know, a, 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 a slow build and steady approach, you know, to uh, to getting the word out and just kind of plodding along and doing your thing. I think God has honored that and helped, uh, you know, broaden the base. And the, most of the people we're getting are people like your audience who just really want to know what's going on and delve into the truth. And they want to see documentation and facts. And it's not like some hysteria or fear mongering or trying to uh, press people, uh, you know, to uh, make choices, but to give them the opportunity for the information to make their choices with. Right. Exactly. 100%. So yeah. And, and again, I really thank you and, uh, and appreciate you. And I'm really appreciative that you took the time to sit down and we can have this conversation and talk through these important issues. And um, so again, I hope, you know, down the road we can do it again where it's not, so, not, we're not tackling such, you know, great issues, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are where we are and I appreciate what you're doing, Jeff. I love you and pray for you. And uh, thanks for being on the front lines. Definitely. Well, th- thank you so much, and uh, and uh, and everybody is, uh, as well out there. Uh, you can always follow uh, me at Jeff the GK. Go to my website gatekeepersonline.com. Have a few other contributors as well, and we're just trying to help you know put out more content and help uh, you know educate you guys on what's going on. And that's what that's one of the reasons why I appreciate you know Tom with all of his uh, all of his research and all that kind of stuff. So uh, definitely tune in next week, and we're, we're going to have some more fun guests. So thanks so much, and thanks so much, Tom. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org.